This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. One million deaths in the U.S. from COVID-19. That is the grim milestone that we've reached more than two years into this pandemic. In March 2020, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's the president's chief medical advisor, predicted that 100 to 200,000 people could die from the coronavirus. Quite a while ago, in the early phases of the outbreak, I was warning people that we could get up to 200,000 deaths. And I was criticized by many people as being too pessimistic. And look at that. We have five times the higher level that I said, and we're still not through this. And a tragically large number of those deaths could have been prevented with vaccines. Now joining us to reflect is infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Teramina with Dooley Health and Care. Thank you for joining us, doctor. Hey, Sasha. At the beginning of the pandemic, one million, that seemed like an unthinkable number of lives lost. But here we are. Yeah, it, it certainly is. I definitely remember um, echoing some of those sentiments. Dr. Fauci said that, you know, trying to keep this thing at that 100,000 death mark was, you know, a, a goal of getting these vaccines rolled out and getting people, you know, the protection that they needed to stay safe. I I don't think anyone estimated that we could be looking at a number this high. Um, and if you if you said that you were looking at a number this high, I don't know where you were getting necessarily the data from that early on, uh, but it did become apparent, especially as we weathered the Delta storm and head into headed into Omicron, that we were we were on this trajectory. Do we know how many of the deaths are preventable? Hundreds of thousands. You know, the latest models that are looking at things, um, if we would have been more early adopters of being fully vaccinated pre-Delta, um, I, I think that we could have saved two to 300,000 plus deaths uh, in this toll. You know, it's, it's unacceptable that we had even more deaths after vaccines than we did before vaccines. And that's something that we need to continue to take a critical look at because every single patient that dies of COVID now, I... I I look at as how could we have prevented this? How could we have prevented this? We've got so many things in place that should really minimize the chances of death here. Some people listening right now might still be hesitant to get vaccinated. So what do you say to them? You know, vaccines have been the best tool we have in our arsenal at minimizing severe COVID illness and minimizing poor outcomes. These vaccines are not perfect and these vaccines are not 100%. But those who are fully vaccinated and boosted tend to have a much milder course of COVID, come through it well, have a lesser chance of those long post-COVID syndromes, all of that stuff, or something even as simple as the disruption of your day-to-day and week-to-week with uh, five days off or six days off or more of work if you happen to have a mild case. It's, it's avoidable in many, many circumstances. Dr. Termina, let's talk about the, uh, the increase in cases that we're seeing in the suburbs right now. Yeah. As I mentioned, Evanston went from medium to high risk for COVID last week. So remind us what the rules are when a community goes into high transmission? 
So yeah, when those parameters are met and we're starting to see more than a couple hundred cases per 100,000 people, and we're starting to see more hospital admissions and more beds taken up by COVID patients in community hospitals, when we reach high transmission, make no mistake, masking is highly encouraged in all indoor spaces, regardless of vaccine status. That's the difference between moderate and high risk. For moderate risk, those immune suppressed individuals, those are the ones that really need to be mindful of indoor masking. But once we move into high risk, indoor masking should be for everyone. I don't know that we're going to see mask requirements continue or, or be reinstated, but everyone should be taking that personal responsibility to be donning a mask in indoor spaces. And if you have those additional risk factors, indoor gatherings really should be postponed at this time while we stay at this high transmission level. So do we know what's driving Evanston into this high transmission territory? It's tough. I was trying to look at a couple of different parameters. We are seeing more of an uptick of some of those subvariants of Omicron that are a little more contagious uh, in all of the suburban areas. In addition, we have Evanston is a very highly vaccinated area. Yeah, 90%. 90% of Evanston residents have taken the shot. Yeah, and that's and that's by the definition of fully vaccinated, which is two doses of a messenger RNA vaccine or a single dose of Johnson & Johnson. They were also very early adopters of getting vaccinated. So we may be looking at a community where the community immu- uh, immunity is sort of waning over time, especially if they haven't gotten those third dose boosters as readily as they took those first two doses. And we might just be seeing a combination of an, an uptick in more of these subvariants of Omicron with some waning immunity. And also the, the whole area in those, north, those northeast suburbs, they tend to be better testers in general. So they're still having more community testing that's going on. So they may simply be capturing more of these positives as well. I see. Should we brace for a similar increase in, in all of suburban Cook County? I think so. I think that we're going to continue to see these numbers coming up. And again, it all comes down to more so than that actual numeric case count, because lots of people do get mild COVID and mild breakthrough infections. It's going to come down to what is it doing to our community hospitals? Are we being stressed? Are we seeing an uptake in admissions? And are we seeing a high percentage of our beds in our hospitals being occupied by COVID patients? That's when we really need to be mindful and consider a pivot on what we're doing as individuals to try and prevent getting this virus and spreading it to the next person. If you are just tuning in, I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and that is Dr. Mia Teramina. We're discussing America's waning immunity from the Omicron strain of the coronavirus and what steps we should be taking to continue to protect ourselves. I want to stay on this topic of reinfection, doctor. Do we know how many people have had COVID more than once? I'm hearing some people have even had it three times. Yeah, I definitely have seen patients that have had it more than once and and a handful of patients that have had it more than twice as well. Um, As far as exact percentages go, it's challenging because there's a lot of folks that believe they may have been infected during a period of time when we didn't have testing readily available and they received a symptomatic diagnosis. And we also have a drastic undercount because there's a lot of folks who have been fully vaccinated and boosted and maybe have some mild symptoms and think it can't be COVID. So they simply don't test themselves. So we just never know. My estimate would be of people that have had COVID more than once, 
I, I would guess that we're probably looking at a good 10% of our cases right now with individuals that had a case in 2020 or 2021 mm -hmm. that are coming positive again. And that's going to come up this fall. It absolutely will. Where are we as a country when it comes to immunity? So the entire, that's tough too, because we keep on waning down. More than half of this country is walking around with antibodies. And we definitely have, you know, 66, 67, 68% fully vaccinated. We need more. Over 25% of our entire population had COVID, whether they knew it or not, during this last Omicron surge. But we are now many months beyond that Omicron surge, which is why that immunity is just waning down. And some of these subvariants that are picking up traction are able to somewhat overcome our natural immunity and our vaccine immunity. So it's not unheard of to have these increased numbers of breakthrough infections. We got a call last week from a listener talking about boosters. This is Mike from Roseland. I'm just recently 71, and I'm calling to find out if someone who is in my age range and is fully up on the uh, the first two COVID shots and the two boosters should consign themselves to getting a uh, booster shot every four to five months instead of waiting for uh, official notification to, that it's okay to do so. Good question, Mike. What what do you recommend in that case? That is a good question. And there's and, and I've been asked this question before and I have individuals who have oh maybe not been as forthcoming about how many shots they've had and simply have gone on and done that. Folks that got their third or fourth doses um, may be eligible time-wise three or four months later for potentially a fifth dose without having any indication to do that. We're not seeing a dramatic bump in a ton of antibody protection with these fourth doses and people getting fifth doses like we do between the second and third dose. That third dose booster is critically important and anyone who has not received a third dose really needs to. We're trying to avoid consigning ourselves to the reality that we may need to get multiple boosters per year if we're elderly or immune suppressed. I would like to see us move this to something seasonal and something more variant specific if possible, because I don't see the uptake of fourth and fifth and sixth shots happening if we have recommendations to get boosted every four to five months, most people will not do that. So we have to they sure won't. develop a strategy, correct. We have to develop a strategy where we are focusing on the booster doses that are needed at the time and intervals they are likely to give us the best effect. So just to clarify at this point, because I, I think we need it, how many vaccines does it take to be fully vaccinated? The definition has not changed, but the consensus is to be up to date on vaccines, you need to have received your primary series and all eligible booster doses, depending on if you're immunocompromised or not. While the definition still says two doses of a messenger RNA vaccine or a single dose Johnson & Johnson, that's just simply not cutting it. And we need to really think of people being up to date on their vaccines, meaning everyone needs to receive all eligible booster doses. Yeah. As you said a moment ago, you know, getting booster after booster after booster, most people just, they're not going to comply. Uh, less than half of Americans actually haven't gotten the third dose of the vaccine. What do you think is, is actually holding folks back? I think there's a lot of fatigue with the pandemic in general. And I think a lot of folks are seeing the reality that many folks who have 
been fully vaccinated and boosted are still getting COVID and they simply don't see the reason or benefit when they feel as though it's inevitable they're going to get COVID at some point, or maybe they had COVID and think that their antibodies are going to be something that will carry them through subsequent waves. Natural antibodies and vaccine-generated antibodies both wane over time. So just being fully vaccinated uh, with two doses and having had COVID does not make you immune to having COVID again and again. Mm -hmm. So we really do need to stay up to date. I think most of the not getting that third dose is a little bit of that vaccine fatigue and, and folks saying, look, I got my two doses. But for many of those individuals, that's been more than a year now. Right. Yeah, a lot of people got them like last March in Correct. April and haven't okay. gotten a shot since. Haven't gotten a shot since. And and I would render them uh, very minimally protected at, at best. At this point, they really need to get a booster dose to fill that cup of antibodies back up to make uh, any exposure to COVID equal, hopefully, a less likely clinical outcome that's, you know, avoiding severity here. And another great point from uh, engineer Dave Miska here, he says the fact that you lose a day with the booster, that doesn't help either. It, 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 that's correct, too, especially if people had a worser uh, second dose versus their first right. dose and felt really out of it. They're going to think their third dose is really going to knock it out of the park. It's not an absolute. I've definitely seen people who had uh, a lot of fatigue and side effects from one or two of the doses, but not the third. So, yeah. again, it's just it's much better than missing five plus days of work, even with mild symptoms. Absolutely. Congress is uh, is trying to pass a COVID spending plan. If it doesn't go through, Dr. Fauci said people would actually have to pay for vaccines. What would happen if people had to pay for these shots? People would not get vaccinated. That's that's what would happen. And that's something that we just we cannot possibly uh, weather that type of storm, especially if we end up with an escape variant that truly evades all of our immunity. In that case, specifically, we need to be able to have free vaccines for all in, in the interest of public health. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, we, we need to continue to have funding and vaccines need to continue to be free. That's infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Teramina with Dooley Health and Care. Thank you so much for your time. As always, doctor, have a good week. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.